0: Good morning First Baptist Church of Gray Gables. Uh, I hope you're having a wonderful week. Thank you so much for tuning in with us on this online service on Sunday morning. We want to wish our moms especially a happy Mother's Day. Uh, I know uh, things are probably a little bit different for you, um, especially our mothers, but uh, we want to tell our moms how thankful we are for them, especially the moms of First Baptist Church of Gray Gables. Um, getting to see and watch you love and mother your children is a tremendous gift. And so happy Mother's Day. I hope you have a wonderful day and I hope um, you got something special that the husbands didn't blow it and got you a pretty good gift as well, especially um, the young husbands. Uh, I wanted to remind you uh, that we are continuing to the service. In fact, if you're watching this online, it means you opted not to come to our Sunday morning service, even though we're open today. And listen, I, I really just wanted you to hear from me that that is completely okay. Uh, your safety um, is tremendously important to us, and we don't wanna, want you to feel um, like you're lacking any sort of faith. Uh, these are just like we've been saying since the beginning, unprecedented times. And uh, we're really trying to ask the Lord for wisdom Um, and and what to do and how to reopen. And so hear my heart that we uh, miss you and we're so glad you're tuning in with us on Sunday morning listening to this as well. You are worshiping uh, with us in spirit, we know. I wanted to make a couple announcements. I thought about... Initially, doing a, a Mother's Day service, but I always lose track if I did one last year, and I like to do one Mother's Day service or one Sunday, and then for Father's Day, uh, walk through whatever we've been walking through, and then vice versa. Uh, but this year on Mother's Day, the fathers are going to get, or uh, this year on Mother's Day, we're going to finish up the Gospel of John, and then on Father's Day, the fathers are going to get a special treat out of the book of Joshua. And so we are in the Gospel of John this morning as in chapter 20, and you can go ahead and turn there, but I wanted to make an announcement. We have four sermons left um, in the Gospel of John. We are coming to the conclusion. This is the end of chapter 20 today, and then we will have three in John 21, and then we'll be done. Can you believe it? Two and a half years of line-by-line exposition, of course, with several breaks, but we've made it almost through the Gospel of John, which means there's a new book uh, coming. And so June 7th, we are going to begin um, a line-by-line, verse-by-verse exposition of the book of 1 Thessalonians. Uh, I love this book. It's a relatively small book, much smaller than the Gospel of John. Shouldn't take us two and a half years, but you know your pastor Uh, so you can decide on that. Uh, But it's a wonderful book that has a lot of opportunity for us to teach on different topics and things that the Apostle Paul covers with the church at Thessalonica. So I want to encourage you now even to be going to incorporate reading that book and I can't wait to start that series with you on June 7th. Now many of you know uh, that I preach out of the New American Standard Version and they're Um, The last update for that was in 1995 and it's a tremendous update. It's got a lot of uh, really great things. Uh, To me, it's the closest to the original Hebrew and Greek manuscript and I was saddened to learn that this year in 2020, uh, they've released a new update. And as I've read through the update and a couple of question passages, I... I'm not sure that I really enjoy it that much. And so, as much as I want to stick through uh, to the 1995 edition, which is still fantastic, and if you have that edition of the Bible, you should keep it, as much as I want to stick with that, uh, we've decided that with a new series coming on June 7th, we would make a translation change to the New King James Version. If you know anything about Bible translations... Uh, we, we have four that we approve and we uh, think through on a continual basis. The, the King James, New King James, English Standard, and New American Standard versions. Those are the ones we think are the closest to the original Greek and Hebrew. Uh, and the New King James to us is one that they just don't ever seem to update. And it's a really great translation. So I want to give you some time. Uh, to be able to go ahead and order your Bible if you'd like. I think I might have a couple if you reach out to me. I might be able to give you a special prize there. Uh, but New King James Version is what we're going to be reading through and preaching through starting June 7th uh, here. And that's going to be on Sunday mornings, Sunday nights, and Wednesday nights as well. So I want to make sure you knew that. Okay, enough announcements. Let's get to the Gospel of John chapter 20 verses 30 and 31. John 20... 30 through 31, just two verses uh, this morning from the Gospel of John. Let's read these verses together. The Bible says, Therefore many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Uh, let's go to the Lord and pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we know that the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord endures forever. So, Father, we just ask for your help now. Lord, we thank you for giving us these verses that so clearly show us uh, why John wrote this particular book. And, Father, the key is, is faith. Uh, and so, Lord, we know that through your word you produce faith and the life of of, of people and we ask that those hearing this word this morning um, that you would produce faith in them that if they already have faith you would produce a stronger faith and if they don't have faith you would turn their hearts to know you and trust you as Lord we ask you to do it now in Jesus name amen all right well If you remember two weeks ago at the conclusion of the story of Doubting Thomas, we had that climactic conclusion, remember? We had that astounding confession from the Apostle Thomas, and John is now going to transition and provide for us a summary statement concerning his purpose of writing his gospel account. And, and when we just think back of the context and we consider the previous passage two weeks ago, remember we were encouraged by Jesus' gracious and compassionate response in the way he ministered to doubting Thomas. And though we didn't mention it two weeks ago, I, I don't want us to miss Um, The the fact that there was also an admonition given to Thomas. And and by way of that admonition, uh, Jesus instructs his people today in a similar fashion. Look at what he says after Thomas made his strong confession. Jesus said to Thomas in verse 29, Because you have seen me, have you believed? Blessed are they who did not see and yet believed. Uh, in other words, even though Jesus was gracious to Thomas in providing him with the proof that he required, Jesus is not commending Thomas' behavior. Rather, Jesus is basically telling us, don't be like Thomas, and not to make our faith conditional on particular physical evidences. Uh, He is telling us that it is good to believe in him and believe in his resurrection without having seen him with our own eyes or touched him with our own hands. That's what Jesus is commending here. But, but here's the question, and here's why we need to know this for the context, because here's the question. If, if we haven't been given the ability to see the resurrected Christ with our own eyes and have been able to touch the resurrected Christ with our own hands, then on what basis should we believe uh, if, if the evidence isn't available to us, like it was available to Thomas and it was available to the twelve, then what basis do we have to believe? How will we ever believe? Well, we're told to believe on the basis of the testimony of God's holy scriptures. And if I could give you a main idea for these two verses, that would be the main idea. The basis for our belief is God's holy scriptures. It's the very subject John takes up in these final two verses of of John chapter 20. He provides us with a summary statement of everything that he has written up to this point. And in this summary, he tells us two things. He tells us uh, about the manner in which he has written this gospel account and the overall purpose for having written it. And so those are our two points. Uh, John's manner, the manner of the gospel of John, and the purpose of the gospel of John. Let's go ahead and start with the manner of the gospel of John. Two things here. One is uh, John tells us that he was very selective in choosing the signs that he included. He informs us that Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples which are not written in this book. And when he says his book, he's referring to his gospel. In fact, at the very end of his gospel, in the next chapter, in John chapter 21, verse 25, he takes this idea a step further uh, by saying this, And there are also many other things which Jesus did, which if they were written in detail, I suppose that even the world itself would not be able to contain the books that would be written. So John is telling us that there are many other signs that Jesus did that he could have included in this account. Again, in verse 30 of our text, he says, therefore, many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. Notice he says many other signs not written in this book. What that implies is that there are other signs that Jesus did and some of them are written in other books that the Lord has included as part of his holy scriptures. We know that the gospel of John was written much later than the other three, what are referred to as the synoptic gospels. And John knew that other books had been written, which included some of Jesus' signs. We have some of those books today in the Bible. Uh, John is letting us know that he didn't set out to produce an account that would be just like the other three Gospels. No, he purposely chose the signs that he did in order to accomplish his purpose. He had a goal in mind, and he was very selective about what he included in his account. The other thing that's interesting about the way or the manner that John puts it here is that he seems to be informing us that there was no lack of information from which to choose as to what he would include in his account. In other words, there was so much evidence available to him that he had to be very selective. The disciples didn't have to go out there fishing for evidence. They didn't have to settle for less than trustworthy sources. They didn't have to go out and embellish reports or make them up of a small number of people to make them seem more persuasive. There was plenty of evidence. They had so much evidence, in fact, that they had to make hard decisions about what to include Uh, Jesus, uh, the, uh, the disciples themselves saw all of these signs firsthand and because they were the ones who Jesus would set apart to proclaim this message, he provided them with ample evidence so they could preach this gospel truth with great conviction. In other words, the ministry of Jesus was filled with evidence and purposefully so to give his apostles boldness so they would know And be affirmed in their heart that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. So they would go out and they would boldly proclaim this and even be willing to die for the cause of Christ. Now some people might wonder why John and the other writers didn't provide for us with more testimonies and more signs in this book. After all, if you and I were writing this, let's be honest, as uninspired men and women, we'd probably include all sorts of other things we saw Jesus do. But the reason why they weren't included in these accounts were is because at the end of the day, this is what the Holy Spirit wanted to include. If people aren't satisfied with the amount of evidence that God has provided, then the truth really is they will never be satisfied no matter how much proof is provided. If this account were a mere human work, It would have included tons more information because when left to us, we feel the need to build the strongest case possible, to provide more evidence in order to gain credibility in the eyes of men. But because this is the composition of God and he's the one who gives the faith to believe his word, he doesn't have to concern himself with whether or not he's provided enough proof for men to believe. Uh, Do you understand that? That's a comforting truth we need to grab hold of. At the end of the day, God is the one who gives the faith to believe in his testimony. The amount of evidence given to us in his word, it's enough. Together with the Holy Spirit, his holy scriptures are sufficient to provide men all that they would need to believe the testimony he has given. Now John not only touches the manner in which he put together his gospel account, but he has something to tell us about the purpose he had in writing this account. What was his purpose? Well, according to his own words, he had a two-part purpose. Uh, The first part being that his readers would learn that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. The second part being a consequence of the first, that those who believe would believe to the end that they would have eternal life. You know, I thought about this recently when when you think about why people set out to write books, uh, it's interesting to, to consider what, what would be someone's motivation to write a book, right? Some, some people write books to, let's be honest, make a name for themselves, right? Some, some write because out of arrogance they think that others need to have a book that's written by them. How many autobiographies are written not so much because there is a demand but because the author has a desire to supply. The bargain bins of the bookstores are filled with books written by authors like this. Another motive some have for writing books is to satisfy the curious uh, because there is a demand or desire to know more about somebody or some thing. For instance, some people are curious to know what it must have been like to be a personal chef to one of our presidents. They want to know the inside scoop of what happens at the White House or to know what it's like to be a cleaning woman in Buckingham Palace. But then, of course, thirdly, some people write for entertainment purposes, to amuse their audience. The reason I mention these three popular motives for writing is to point out to you that John hasn't written with any of these motives in mind. John didn't write his accounts in the same manner and purpose that so many others write. The main reason for this has to do with the fact that the book he wrote was under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. This is not the writing of just some mere man. This is the inspired word of God. John didn't write this account in order to make a name for himself. In fact, he doesn't even mention his own name in this book. It's actually quite peculiar that way. He doesn't set out to promote himself. In one of his sermons, Charles Spurgeon highlighted the fact that John being so reserved in the way he, in which he wrote his gospel account. He, he was speaking of John and Spurgeon says, he omits, as if of set purpose those places of the history in which he would have shown. He and James and Peter were frequently selected by the master to be with him when others were excluded. But of these occasions, John says nothing. And that's that's amazing. Spurgeon goes on to very list various special events that according to synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, that John was there. He was included in these. How Jesus allowed the three to remain with him after he sent all the other disciples out at the healing of Jairus' daughter. Uh, John doesn't mention that in his account. He, he, was, he was also there at the transfiguration. He was one of the three people that saw Jesus' transfiguration. and He doesn't mention that in this account. Spurgeon goes on to say this. He says, What uninspired man could have left out such a vision from his page? Even more striking is the fact that the master, when he took with him the eleven to the garden, left the major part of them at the gate, but he led the three further into the garden and bade them wait at about a stone's cast distance where some of them heard his prayers and observed his bloody sweat. John, who was one of them, says nothing about it. Had he forgotten it? That was impossible. Did he doubt it? Certainly not. But the omission shows you that these incidents were not written with the view of honoring John, but that the reader may be led to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. He leaves out that which would have brought John into the front in order that he may fill up the whole foreground of his canvas with the portrait of his Lord. Everything is subordinated to the one grand end that you should believe that Jesus is the Christ. See, the Gospel of John, church, is not about John, it's about Jesus. Yes, it's John's account, but it is his account about Jesus. And his whole purpose in writing this account, it's not to promote himself, but it's to promote Jesus. Like John the Baptist, the Apostle John would say of Jesus, He must increase and I must decrease. Brothers and sisters, this must be our sentiment as well, especially in our witnessing, in our proclamation of the gospel. There is no place for promoting ourselves. There's no place for arrogance or showing off as if having faith is somehow a badge of our own intellect. Listen to what uh, the Apostle Paul tells us plainly in Second Timothy chapter 2, verses 24 and 25. He says, The Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to teach, patient when wronged, with gentleness correcting those who are in opposition, if perhaps God may grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth. Friends, in our witnessing, in our proclamation of the gospel, and in our preaching, our goal should always be to promote Jesus Not ourselves. Uh, People need to be impressed with Jesus. They don't need to be impressed with us. John didn't write to satisfy curiosity or to entertain his audience. Had we been left to ourselves to put together the information that John had concerning Jesus, we might have been inclined to include some of the juicier stuff. We might have said a whole lot more about the transfiguration or what we saw with our own eyes. We might have included a large testimony from Lazarus, what life must have been like on the other side. Tell us more, Lazarus. Inquiring minds want to know. We might have said more about what Jesus looked like, how tall he was, the color of his eyes, the length of his hair. Did he have more of a Brother Justin beard or more of a Shadow Pastor Cody beard? We would have described his stature, what his favorite foods were, and things like this. But the the Holy Spirit doesn't intend for those things to be included. Why? Because those things have no bearing at all the central purpose that he wrote this gospel. The Holy Spirit was solely concerned about those things in the life of Jesus that should That he is the Christ, the Son of God. See, church, in, in the last 20 chapters of his account, John has set out to provide us with evidence and testimony about Jesus. And he has done this so that we might place our faith in Jesus for salvation. He's deliberate in the manner by which he wrote his account so that it would serve this great purpose of the Holy Spirit. Since chapter 1, John has been building a very strong case by presenting testimony after testimony to his readers. His purpose is that people might have faith. Now listen, in our day and age, it's common to hear people say that they have faith. But really, the the question is, faith in what? What? Well, I can't say, I, I just have faith, and that's good enough. I believe in something. Some even say they have faith in faith, which makes no sense whatsoever. Friends, in order for faith to have any value, it must have an object. In fact, the value of the object is what gives faith any value at all. Aside from having a valuable object, faith is meaningless, It serves no purpose. And so John goes out of his way. In fact, he spends all 21 chapters of his gospel account providing us with compelling evidence which ought to lead us to the only true and proper object of faith for salvation, the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the one who John is telling us to place our faith in. He's saying, listen, I'm giving you reasons to believe this. He's the one you need to believe in. He's the Savior. He is God. John has provided us with ample testimony, and he confronts his readers. In fact, anybody who reads the gospel account of John is confronted with a person that is truly unique in every sense of the term. Now, before he closes this book, John wants to make sure that his readers understand what he has set out to accomplish in this account. He doesn't want people to miss the point as if they could have. I appreciate the way Dr. Boyce paraphrases John's concluding statement here. Speaking of John in these two verses, he says, it's as though John is saying, look, you've been reading and studying my gospel for some time now, and you've come to the end. Have you grasped my purpose? Can it be that you've missed it after all this time? In case you've missed it, let me spell it out. Jesus did many, many things, but I've not recorded all of them. I have recorded only a part, but I have recorded that part so that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, and that by believing you may have life through his name. In light of all John has testified about Jesus. Now he brings it down to this really simple question. Do you believe what I've said? Do you believe what I've written about? Do you believe in this person with whom I presented you? Do you trust him? Now some people will read this account and hear this sermon and they'll say no. No, I don't believe and I won't believe because this is all make-believe. It's Just one big fairy tale that Christians have believed in for centuries and continue to propagate because it makes them feel good. Some people really do picture faith and view it as some huge leap into the dark unknown. But that's not the kind of faith the scriptures tell us to have. We're not called to that type of faith. True saving faith, friends, it's not a giant leap in the dark. True saving faith has a solid foundation that is based upon historical eyewitness accounts of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. He and the disciples saw with their own eyes the miracle of Jesus firsthand. They heard his teaching firsthand. They saw Jesus crucified, buried, and resurrected Three days later as he predicted. And not just this 11 disciples, but hundreds more saw Jesus alive after his death. Not only that, but these disciples were so certain of these things that they were willing to suffer death in sharing this truth with others. Now, yeah, sure, there, there are some psychotics out there that would gladly give their lives for silly and dumb causes, but to have so many people willing to give their lives for believing on the Lord Jesus Christ, this is an evidence that the Holy Spirit is the one who is at work. It's the Holy Spirit who is persuading the heart of men to believe these things. He's given them the strength to stand boldly in the face of their persecutors, to cling to Jesus Friends, it's important for us to keep in mind that that what John and the other writers of Scripture are proclaiming, it's, it's not merely just belief in a few historical facts. They're not urging us to believe in some historical details or doctrines. Rather, the writers of the Scriptures are urging us to believe in a person. They're urging us to place our faith in Jesus, the Christ, To believe that he is the Messiah, that he is the Savior of the world. To believe that he is indeed God's Son, which is to say that he is God. That's the purpose for all this evidence that John and the other writers have provided. To prove that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And so that we would place our faith in a person, Jesus, and that he would be the object of our faith. And that by believing in his name, we would have eternal life. So eternal life becomes ours, not through some mystical experience or burning in our bosom, but it comes to us in the name of Jesus. Eternal life comes to us by placing our faith in the one, the person whose name is above all other names. By placing our faith in Jesus Christ alone, there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must or may be saved. This, again, it's another important point for us to consider, especially when we're preaching, when we're witnessing and sharing the gospel with others. Our task in witnessing it isn't just trying to get people to believe a few interesting facts or general truths of God so they can believe in the Bible generally. No, no. Now, now, no doubt that information has its place, but the main purpose in our witnessing is introducing people to the person and work of Jesus. Uh, That saying is true, Christianity, it, it isn't a religion, it's a relationship. Our task is to introduce people to Jesus. It's it's not for us to make others believe in him. Our task is simply to introduce them to Jesus and share with them what we know. Friends, with, with all that said, with everything before us this morning and everything over the last two and a half years we've examined in this book, there must be a question we ask ourselves. Do we have saving faith? Do we have life in the name of the only one who can give life? That's a question you can answer this morning. Have you been persuaded? Has God given you the grace to believe this message? Just know it is is our prayer that all of us would know it, believe it, and have this life. And you're here this morning, and you don't believe it. My prayer is that, yes, uh, God would grant you faith, but let me present to you who Jesus is. See, the Bible is clear that God created all of this earth. All of it's his, and he created it good. He owns it. He's the ruler and king over all, but you, man, his creation, have chosen to reject God's good and loving design, and you yourself place yourself on a throne you do not deserve to be on, that you think in your minds that you are the center of the universe, that you are who all this creation is for, and you act accordingly, you, you serve yourself, you love yourself, you put yourself above all other things, and, and you, friends, because of that sin, you're deserving of the just punishment of a good, holy, just God. You're deserving of the the wrath that God has for those who break his law and who try to exist as if they themselves are God. And apart from someone rescuing you, you face God's wrath in an eternity separated from him in hell, an eternity of punishment for which you so rightly deserve. But God is is loving and merciful and gracious. And in his grace, he sent his son, the Lord Jesus, being fully man and fully God. And coming and living perfectly the life you could never live, Jesus lived. He lived it willingly, perfectly in, in submitting himself to the Father. Though he was equal with God. And yet he willingly went to the cross and took God's just wrath that you deserve upon himself so that you might have his standing. Where Jesus earned eternal life through his perfect obedience and you earned eternal death through your disobedience. Jesus took your punishment and he gives you his right standing if you would but repent and trust him. You would turn away from being king of your own life and submit that Jesus is king over all, and you would believe and trust in his finished work on the cross and his vindication through the resurrection, knowing it's complete, and you would live for him. Friends, you can have this eternal life. And if you don't know Christ, this is the gospel message that John is presenting you with. Would you repent even now and call out to the Lord, asking him to save you? That is our prayer this morning, that you would have eternal life because of a real historical person, Jesus Christ, and the work he has done for his people. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for, for two and a half glorious years in the gospel of John. And though we have a couple of sermons left, Father, we, we thank you for such a clear Purpose that your Spirit gives us for this book. Father, the the reason why we wanted to study this book is so that we would be presented and confronted with Jesus, the person of Jesus, so that we may believe and in believing experience eternal life even now. Lord, I, I know that through these two and a half years, you've granted that to me in a stronger faith. But Lord, I'm, I'm praying that if there's someone here listening to that, that they would trust Jesus with their lives, that they would repent, they would submit to his authority over all, and they would find rest and freedom and joy knowing they're created with the purpose of bringing glory and honor to Christ. Would you grant them the faith to believe this morning, we pray in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Thank you, church, have a wonderful week. Hope for, hopefully we'll get to see you soon. Happy Mother's Day, God bless.